What's up, podcast land? It's Mike, your now confirmed favorite host. Melon and Raph have finally accepted it with your support, and it is much appreciated. I'm back this week with yet another intro for another great lifelong friend of mine, Dr. Tony. Tony graduated from Carlo University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with a bachelor's in science, biology, chemistry minor with magna cum laude. He's currently a doctor in osteopathic medicine, physical medicine and rehabilitation, and also pediatric rehabilitation. He currently resides in Dallas, Texas, where he works at the University of Texas Southwestern. Look, this guy has more qualifications than I can really name all at once, but being a good man is the main one that I like. Now, we thought we'd bring him in on the show to help share both the perspectives of a medical professional and patient and dissect the processes of both mental and physical recovery and hear how humility and trust ultimately play the biggest factors throughout these sometimes arduous journeys from where we are to who we want to be and where we want to go. Look, this takes me to the scene from the movie Tommy Boy when Chris Farley says, you know, lots of people go to college for eight years. And David Spade replies, yeah, they're called doctors. But this guy is one in a million. And trust me, we are honored to have him here. Now let's get ready to send it with Not Your Average Operator. Not Your Average Operator. Not Your Average Operator. Not Your Average Operator. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. Sitting here in, well, it's not really sunny. It's dark. It's early. It's in the Middle East. It's it's pretty cold, actually, in the middle of winter. And uh, I'm here with my boys. How you doing, Mike? I'm solid, man. Uh, dark in the Middle East. What is it? Wintertime? It's like, what, 70 degrees Fahrenheit? What is that, like 30 degrees Celsius or something like that? It'd be cool. And that's like sort of 50 to 60. It's it's actually really nice here every winter. I forget every summer because it's like 120 and they're the bits I remember. Yeah, like, pretty nice. I called you last night and you're wolfing down some some lamb and meat and pork chops and and having some, a few throthies, <clears throat> frothies with uh, cherry over there. So it must be pretty nice weather. Yeah, yeah. It was a lovely weekend. We had a, a barbie with my mate Orazio. Shout out to the big man. And he, in his yard. No, it's just a, a great weekend. Awesome. How you doing there, Raf? I'm doing pretty good, man. Just hanging out, doing the uh, the work flying thing, keeping tabs on the family back uh, back in the Pacific Northwest. And so Raf's there. Uh, he's even a little bit further east than me, another time zone in another Middle Eastern country. And uh, we're joined by a very special guest, as you guys heard in the show notes. We've got uh, Dr. Tony, who's joined us. And uh, how are you going there, Tony? Welcome. Thank you very much, Mr. Mellon. I'm doing great. It's, uh, it's it's definitely an honor to be able to um, uh, to be able to join you guys this evening. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to having some uh, some cool conversation with you guys. And it's uh, it's super cool. Just to point out, we've got uh, four different time zones. So we've got Texas time. I think is where uh, Tony is. We've got East Coast time uh, time with Mike and two different uh, Middle Eastern time zones here with Raf and I. So. Uh, we've got guys putting down a few cold drinks at the end of the day, and we've got uh, a couple of us putting hot hot coffees in to get ourselves going in the morning. And uh, from right around the world, we're coming to you. So we're here to talk about uh, medical and mental health. We've got a very special guest. I'm really stoked to hear, uh, to, to really meet Tony. 
I've heard heaps about him. You guys might hear a few uh, Pittsburghese from the two Yinzers. These two get together and it's a bit hard. We need the subtitles running on the bottom of the uh, the video for Raf and I. But uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us who Tony is for you, Mike, and how you guys met? Well, I've shared a few little injects about uh, times in, in Dallas Tejas and partaking in some uh, some interesting, as Raf calls, elixirs. Um, we've we've gone down to there a few times and had a good, uh, good time last year. Uh, went out uh, to a couple bars. What was it? The Rustic, I believe, Tony introduced me to and just got out and enjoyed it after kind of a long quarantine. Um, but we've been friends since high school and uh, both of us very successful in uh, different fields. Uh, Tony uh, went to the medical side and you might hear some really funny stuff out of Tony. I'm almost positive that you will, but the guy's got a heart of gold and he uh, has such an, uh, a passion for helping people in their worst times, uh, ultimately with like medicine. But also we've had great conversations about mental health and being positive in life. And uh, I'm just really happy to have my, my buddy here. So you guys throw down some uh, Iron City Brews together? Down, down to the point? Uh, in Pittsburgh, I think we did, right, right, Tony? I think for New Year's, we had a few Iron Cities. A, a couple, I think, just a few. Not, you know, you, you don't want to go too overboard, but you certainly want to enjoy yourself, Mike. Yeah. So, so two overboard means uh, three in the morning, and you're you're sleep talking to all your friends <laughs> while we're videotaping you. But uh, yeah, not too much. It's all right. It, and if I could just um, piggyback off what Mike said, you know, so the company when I'm back stateside doing training and whatnot. They'll always offer to put me up in some elaborate, you know, five and a half star, whatever ridiculous hotel. But I'm always like negative. I'm going to go crash on Tony's couch. I don't need your stupid five star hotel. Because every time it's going to be a good time, which is also the only reason I will never run for politics. There's just it's just I've been compromised. <laughs> so how many times have you guys gotten together? The, the three of you. There's been some big nights. I know you guys have talked about it. Actually, it's funny you bring that up. The last time the three of us were together was last February 2020 in Dallas. We went to the Dallas Stars Cowboys Club to have dinner. And we actually talked about starting this podcast. It was Raf's idea. He's like, dude, we should start a podcast. And I initially told him no, that I was, I was out. But uh, actually, we all had that conversation. And that's kind of where the uh, spark started so it's funny you brought that up Milan. well that's well, cool. it was it was actually i brought it up to pat i said pat you need to do a podcast i didn't want to be in it i thought pat and mike would be you know good hosts but uh yeah i certainly had i didn't want to do it <laughs> we needed a minority though so we we that's, did need you no it's true looking back i think you're you're welcome <laughs> 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 what am I the am I the token foreigner? I don't know what you'd be, man. We'll have to think about that for the next episode. Well, wow. yeah, I think I think Melon being an Aussie, we're you're the you're the guy that reaches the the criminal element since you guys are just a nation of <laughs> criminals or whatnot. Not that I'm, you know, know your history too well, but anyways, I don't want to steal airtime from Tony, man. 
No, please, by all means. I, I, I do have to say that Mellon does have an awesome voice. And he, he does have a face for radio, so I think it's. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. It's, it's confirmed outside of the triad. There it you is. See this, people. You get you get a guest on. He's wearing a freaking not your average operator t-shirt, and he's so friendly. And and then all of a sudden, you're like, I fucking want to get rid of this douchebag immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, melons hurt. Wow. <laughs> It, it, it just hurts so much more coming from uh, freaking one of the old mates sitting back in, in Dallas, Texas. And, and he just, I just polished off a cold drink too, just to add insult to injury. <laughs> no, nobody feels sorry for Mel. And he's got a beautiful wife, beautiful children. He's got a life anybody would kill for. Don't, not even for a second, you should feel sorry for this guy. I like my little coffee maker who's getting around in the background just before, just before we started, I was uh, given a hot coffee. And uh, the boys, the boys saw a little person walking around in a hoodie behind me. As uh, the missus gets up really early with me, feeds me a hot coffee, gets me going. She's a nice lady. Yeah, she's a keeper. She gets a contract extension based on that. That's another six months right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Chaz, Mike, what, uh, yeah, whatever, Malin. So, Mike, why don't you uh, lead off and, and let us know who Tony is for you and, uh, you know, why you wanted to have him on as a guest? Yeah, so working with uh, Operation Once a Lifetime and being, you know, in the military and around and knowing Tony pretty much my whole adult life and what he does, there's been a lot of interactions with veterans, um, but also just regular people out in society. And you hear about the struggles all the time about, um, you know, for the VA, for example, there's, there's all kind of veterans that get out and they struggle there's PTSD, there's physical ailments, injuries, uh, whatever it is. And you always hear these terrible stories about alcoholism or, or getting addicted to pills at the VA. And it's just like this crutch. And it's kind of like, you know, what are we doing on that side of it? And everybody always points the finger at the, at, at the VA and they're just like, it's always their fault. It's always their fault. Um, but as this, you know, we've talked a lot about mental health and attitude and perspective, but there is, so much more, there needs to be more accountability on the individual and the decisions that you make that are ultimately going to lead to your, your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, everything. And I've talked about that with, with, with Tony because he sees it on a daily basis, working in a hospital with people who are literally saying, you know, I'm dying, there's something wrong with me. You know, I can't even imagine. I'll let him speak on that. But I just thought it was really cool idea to bring him in as somebody that's known me and what I do for so long to get a medical perspective on maybe some issues or some some situations that we've discussed or talked about and kind of see both sides. Such a great uh, topic for us to cover. Um, I know we're getting some really high numbers of people are listening to this. We're on uh, Heroes Media Group. Shout out to Adam. And we've just saw, had a whole bunch of feedback and we know that we've had some really direct impact one-on-one -on -one with people out there. And this topic is something that uh, is near and dear to all of our hearts. And a lot of our listeners across not just military service, but also uh, in, the, in the blue, in the, uh, the fire departments and EMT types also listen. And it's not just confined to those areas where people have uh, hard times in life. And so it's really, really good to get someone on with some real expertise who can... Uh, 
you know, get, maybe give people some concrete pointers and uh, places to go for help. So it's, uh, it's, it's an awesome topic. And thanks very much for coming on, Tony. My so, the VA, so the VA versus um, what you do, Tony. So could you perhaps give us a little bit of backstory about yourself and, sure. and uh, just fill in for people so they know who they're hearing? Sure. Um, so uh, as, as Mike had said earlier, I'm from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania originally. Um, had lived up in uh, the tri-state area, meaning like PA, Ohio, for um, for majority of my life. Um, I ended up going uh, to med school up in that area and started my medical career over in Ohio and then ended up moving down to, um, to Texas uh, for, um, for my training, for residency. And my, what my training is in is something called physical medicine and rehabilitation. And what that is, is we specialize in function, meaning whether someone... Um, who was born with a disability, or let's say they were perfectly normal, no issues at all, end up getting either sick or go through like a, um, a traumatic event, and then and they lose some type of function, whether it be walking, talking, breathing on their own, being able to feed themselves. After they're kind of after they're um, stabilized, let's say by the surgeons, um, that's where we kind of come in, and honestly, we even see them in the more um, acute side shortly after their their, uh, their illnesses. Because what we try to do is we look at the whole person and we try to help them to be as functional as they can be with the disabilities that they have. So example is a lot of the patients that we tend to deal with are like traumatic brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, burns, amputees, um, uh, 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 strokes, or let's say multiple sclerosis. Um, so Needless to say, I, I finished up my residency in that, and I'm currently going through um, a fellowship or additional training in pediatric rehab. So kind of doing the same thing with, with kids, but then you have the um, uh, some more of the congenital issues, uh, let's say, such as like, like muscular dystrophies or cerebral palsy, um, and, uh, along with some of those other illnesses or, um, or, uh, or injuries, as I was talking about before. So... Uh, but yeah. So I think it's really cool that, that you brought that up because last week we did a episode with uh, our boy, Kenny G shout out to Kenny, but something you said in there, Tony, that's really awesome is Kenny said he made his way through because he focused on his abilities, not his disabilities. And you almost pretty much said that right there from a medical perspective, man. So like, that's such a good point of meshing because that was all mental for Kenny. And then from your side of it, it's just like, that's what we're medically focusing on is your ability. And uh, I just thought that was cool, man. A hundred percent. I mean, one of my favorite things that I like to um, tell my patients and their families, um, especially too, is it's not where you are. Um, it's where you want to be. And how are we going to walk through this together to get there? So, cause it's not, you can't expect an individual to be able to do it by themselves because like anyone, we all lose, um, you know, you lose steam sometimes, right? Motivation is kind of like bathing. It's not gonna last forever. You have to keep motivating yourself to keep yourself up to that level you wanna be at. So with figuring out of what the goals are for the patient um, or the individual, I should say, or the family even, you know, how, how can we work together to be able to get this person there and to be as functional as they can be with what they have. Cause you know, it's sometimes it's gonna be 
a massive change in their life. Sometimes it's not nearly as dramatic. It might be something that's a little bit more um, uh, short term or short lived, but you know, just getting through that hump is, is, is a huge challenge for people. Some people adapt very well. So it's just kind of figuring out what motivates them. What can we do to help get them to where they need to go or where they want to go, I should say. Such a great thing to hear, Tony, especially now moving uh, into the pediatric side of things. Like uh, a lot of our listeners know, I've got a vision impaired daughter. Uh, she just turned 14 the other day. And so I have a huge amount of respect for the doctors who were able to bring that to, to kids, you know, like the, the joys and the challenges uh, that you see there must be similar, but in, in a different, different uh, realm, I guess, with the kids. It's, it's, um, it's extremely humbling um, just because you, you know, there's, there's no, ins there's, unfortunately, sometimes people have um, kind of like an incentive or they have, you know, um, maybe necessarily like a, a bad outlook on things. For kids, they just want to play. They just want to do the best they can um, and just have fun. So in giving and helping them and giving them the potential to be the best that they can be, is is absolutely awesome and and i guess i could kind of delve in this too if you guys want of why i wanted to get into this field um so for me i uh, I, I grew up with uh uh with a learning disability it's kind of like visual spatial of where i could read something but i could not understand of what i just read or really even tell you um of what i just read uh, in addition to, I used to, uh, I used to stutter. Um, my vision is not the best at all. And uh, on top of that too, I'm also colorblind. So needless to say, grow, uh, you know, going through school was not the easiest thing for the first half of my life. Um, but getting a chance working with my, you know, my parents believed in me so much that, you know, they, you know, they took me to therapies, but then they would spend hours with me every night, um, sitting, going through like the homework and um, just helped me out. And my dream had literally had always been to become a physician. So, um, you know, but it, it's kind of, you know, as, as a kid, it's kind of hard to see that if, if, if it's just myself, because, you know, at the time I was getting, let's say, C's, D's and F's in classes, I think up through probably like sixth or seventh grade. But, you know, my parents, they had always believed in me, pushed me, um, you know, because they saw the potential that was there. And finally it just started clicking. So it took me a while to really realize of why I wanted to get in the field I wanted to get into. But um, I think at the end of the day, what it is is just kind of paying it forward because I knew what I wanted to do and I knew where I wanted to go, but I just didn't know how to get there. And having someone kind of hold my hand and help me with getting there and believing in me, it's like, well, I, I got to do the same thing. And um, it's absolutely awesome. Was there a key person, Tony, who, who was like that mentor role or an inspiration who did lead you down that path from a, because it's a big challenge, right? People hear C's and D's and F's as, as a kid in primary and they'd be like, man, this kid's, how has he ended up a physician? You know, like we all know that's the big marks you need to, to get in. And there's a lot of, you need a lot of academic, academic excellence. Yeah. Um, I, so my parents, um, and I would just say my, yeah, they're probably the biggest ones, but my family in general. So I'm a, I'm a huge family man. And, um, you know, not only listening to them, um, you know, reinforce uh, of what my dreams were, what my strengths were. 
So like, for instance, um, as I was kind of getting with like the whole reading thing, I've always loved history. I, and I even like, I wanted to read, but I wasn't good with it, right? So they would get me history books, stuff that intrigued me, even if I wasn't good at it, they would just encourage that behavior. So then eventually doing it enough, you start to get, it starts to pick up after a while. But then in addition to, um, you know, I, I'm an individual that um, I have to look out outside of myself for, for inspiration. So I have to say, um, looking at my grandparents and seeing of how much they worked and how much they had sacrificed and what their sacrifice, what the opportunities I gave for my, um, not only my parents, but my aunt and uncles, uh, you know, it's like, if they can do it, why can't I do it? So, you know, I mean, it's the same blood that was running through my, their veins that's running through mine. So, um, yeah, I'd have to say just to, uh, definitely the family unit and also to um, uh, a lot of my close friends. Such, such a good backstory. The three of us are sitting here smiling, watching you talk there. Yeah. I mean, we're, hey, we're Mel, about that whole family thing, right? And if I could just give a shout out, because I've, I've actually met Tony's parents um, at one of Mike's promotion uh, ceremonies. I was very fortunate to meet Tony Sr. and Louise. And uh, I think the best compliment I can, I can give them, and I, and I said this to them, and I really still mean it to this day, it's people like them that we literally, you know, because they're massive patriots, you know, they're, they're always thinking, they're always thanking Mike and, and me for our service. And I just said, you know, it's people like you that make it worth us going overseas and putting ourselves in harm's way. I mean, you're literally the people that I think about when I'm overseas because that's who we're trying to um, preserve this leg this legacy and this freedom for, right? It's literally people like Tony Senior and and Louise. And listen, we're gonna we're listening to Tony now, and it's not a coincidence. If you meet Tony Senior, the fruit didn't fall very far from the tree. I mean, this Tony is not an accident. This is years and years and years of just perseverance and the right attitude and love and nurturing. And I mean, he is like, he is a textbook uh, of, of what a father should be, you know, like he is a result of a strong father. So that, I mean, just his parents are amazing. And so shout out to both of you guys, if you're listening, but uh, yeah, I just, I just need to throw that out there. Yeah, Raf's absolutely right. I, I would love to say thank you to Tony Sr. and Louise for everything that they've done for me in, in my life, done personal level and professional. They, they showed up to professional things, and it's just like they're like an extension. Now, they are family. They really are because they treat me like it and, and everything else. So um, anyway, just shout out to them. They've, they've actually had a big impact on, on this podcast as well. Lots of influence, as well as as Tony. I have no doubt that there's a lot of um, our listeners are parents, and we all have kids who have hard times. And it just not everyone's going to be a physician, but it's a really beautiful story to hear that with that love and nurturing and the example and uh, creating an environment, it has allowed you to flourish like that, Tony. Like they've they've been able to fuel your passion with history books and get you reading and building you up. And it's not a, a rapid thing. I think it's a really good thing for people out there who are parents to hear that, you know, you can really foster the flames and help someone follow their dream and achieve something. Perhaps when they were having a hard time when they're little and you might not, you might not see that potential in your own kids when they're having a hard time academically or whatever the area is. 
So it's a really beautiful story to hear for people that we can really continue to invest in our own kids and that the fruit can bloom perhaps a bit later. And uh, I think you're a great example of that. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much. Um, no, yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of going along with that, you know, um, of what the, the topic is kind of this evening. And, um, you know, f figuring out of what kind of, what drives me, and then um, how can I portray that to my patients or anyone who I come in contact with that I can help? Now, you know, by no means, um, you know, you, you can't really help someone unless they, unless they want the help, right? I can provide all the medical treatment, all the knowledge that I have, but it's like, unless you have the open ears and you have that drive to want to succeed, there's only so much I can do. So, you know, it has to be, you, 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 you have to work as a team to be able to, to be on that same um, level and have those same goals in order to make that, in order to make the dream or whatever it is work. Um, so I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll give you guys an example. For instance, there was one patient that I had um, who I was working with over at the, um, over at the VA and this is actually in our uh, traumatic brain injury clinic. Um, you know, he, he, was, he was doing really well. He never had like, a, um, like an open head wound per se, but he had had multiple concussions, I believe from IEDs um, back during his active duty. And this is one of the last um, outpatient vis uh, visits that we were gonna have. And this is the first time I had met this gentleman. And, um, you know, one of the questions that he had for me was, if he could start partaking in, again, um, Taekwondo. He loved doing it. He said that was one of the ways that he was able to help kind of manage his, um, his anxiety and his anger. He initially was put on medications for everything, but didn't like the side effects from it. And he found this hobby. Um, it was great for him because it helped out, you know, with the physical aspect, but then also to the discipline aspect. And he said whenever he was doing it, he had a much uh, healthier uh, family life and home life. Well, somewhere along the line, um, one of the physicians that was helping take care of him told him that he had to stop doing it. And the reason being was because of the potential risk of getting hit in the head. And after he had stopped doing it, he said his depression was starting to get horrifically worse. This was over like the course of like six months to a year. So, you know, from let's say from a typical physician standpoint, right? You have a guy that's coming to you that you know has had a history of head injuries. He wants to start partaking in an activity of where there's the potential for him to get hurt again. But this is the one thing um, in his life that's helping him to pull himself back together. So just listening to him, seeing the potential in that and seeing if how it helps him, it's like, why would I want to take that away from him? Now, granted, I got to make sure that he's, you know, I got to tell him, what you know he certainly so he understands what the risks are but you know we certainly see where the benefit is too so you know talking with them having a conversation i was like dude you know you can certainly go back to doing it now by all means i recommend that you wear a helmet certainly try to limit sparring you know i don't want you getting hit in the head at all but it's like heck man if this is where your um if this is where your love and your passion is and it's helping you out with everything in your life go for it i'm all for it i just want you to be safe that's all so, you know, just having that open line of communication, I think is very, very important. 
So would you would you say that would be step one? I, you kind of already mentioned it. Um, trying to outline for somebody that's maybe listening, right? But you kind of already said it by saying figure out who you are and where you want to go or where you want to be. Like kind of have that that mental picture, you know, like imagining. Because I know I do that a lot. I'm a very visual person. So like if I want to go do something, I picture myself actually doing it and, and visualize it. And I'm like, man, it makes me smile. It, it makes me happy. Like I can see myself actually doing that. W would you say that would be like your first step one for talking to somebody? I, I would agree um, 110%. V visualizing your yourself and where you want to go. Um, I think that that is definitely step one because you have to you have to have that kind of set up before I can, before you can, before I can start helping you to get there. We have to have at least a common goal and a common, um, you know, track that we're going to be working, to, uh, um, walking down. Right. What would you say the next step? Like if you had to, if you had to put it into words, like, okay, we know, we're, we know our destination or where we want to go. What's, what's the next step that you would, you know, like we're, we're trying to map it out a little bit. Uh, I would say opening up that line of communication and um, starting to work as a team. Who would you define as the team exactly in your in your environment? In in my environment, that would be um, so. Let's say the physician, the the therapist. So I work a lot, for instance, with physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, neuropsychology. So you know, just talking. With, um, each one of them and figuring out, okay, obviously, you know, this is your disability. This is what we have kind of set up at, at home or your outside environment. How are we going to all make this work together? Because, you know, I want to get you back home and doing what you want to do and doing what you love to do, but I got to make sure it's safe for you. I got to make sure, um, you know, I, I want it to be, I want it to be an easy transition because you've already gone through so much. You've already experienced so much. There's no reason for there to be additional barriers if there doesn't have to be, but I can't help you unless you open up and let us know what your concerns are. Do you have any, do you have any uh, examples of maybe some people that resist in, in certain ways that they do like things that you hear like, Hey, I, I genuinely want to help you. What are some bad responses that you get some, some common things? Um, so some, <sighs> So sometimes it's not even necessarily a response. Sometimes it's them just kind of shutting down and never even opening up um, and or like listening, right? Because some people, they always feel like they know everything and they can do everything on their own. Um, so that's very difficult. Um, in addition to, you know, you have a, uh, a lot of people certainly do where they, they already know everything, right? So you can't teach them. You can't you know, you start to talk and start to bring something up. Well, you know, they 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 finish your sentences, and at the end of the day, that might be the right answer, but they're never carrying it through. Um, you know, and that but that part kind of goes along with the motivation aspect of it. Um, in addition to, uh, you know, what's what can be very challenging is you have, um, and you tend to see this in the people who are um, a little bit more severely disabled, or especially kids, of where they have the motivation and they have the potential to go there, but they don't have the support structure around them. And they uh, end up going in the exact 
uh, wrong direction and of where it could have been something that could have been prevented or fixed, it's, it's not going to get there because they just don't have that, that structure around them to help them to push them to that level. Like, I'll, um, I'll give you an example. So um, one of the clinics that I work in is uh, the burn clinic. And with that, with burns, big issue that you tend to have are contractures. Um, a contracture is whenever your um, limb or extremity, you know, arm, leg, it could even be your neck, fingers, doesn't matter. It gets stuck in one position and you can't move it. Uh, and that's because first off the, the scar had formed there. And then eventually, uh, even after the scar matures, the muscle starts to turn into a fibrotic tissue, almost like a scar in and of itself, and you can't push it through. Well, you know, one of the easiest ways to treat that is actually just moving the patient through, right? The range of motion, just keeping it going. Very understandable. They don't necessarily want to do it because it's uncomfortable, but it's necessary because it's like, heck, if, 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 I, if you want to be able to go back into the world, you know, uh, being as independent as you can, we got to, you know, it's not going to be a, an easy journey. But, you know, with, let's say, with like little kids or someone who, who, who doesn't have necessarily have the full mental capacity to be able to push themselves and go through it. If you don't have those people around you to help, to help you go through that process together, Unfortunately, all these kids end up getting, people end up getting stuck, so. So I just wanna add in a quick story, and Tony talking about this, about surrounding yourself with people who wanna help you in a positive way. Again, it's your circle, it's just seeing positive. Um, last year around Halloween, I got a picture from this guy. He was dressed up as a wizard at the hospital with all of his stuff, with a magic wand, and working around with children who are going through, you know, the worst time of their life. And, you know, I was joking. I was like, Hey man, you're like patch Adams or something like that, you know, but uh, that's the type of person Tony is. And I want everybody to know that, that that's like, that's next level. Okay. That's uh, we talked about professionalism, I think, you know, two weeks ago, but this is legit. And I mean, that's the level that he's willing to be there to help someone. And you know, I think about people that are might be listening and you might be thinking of somebody that is struggling. You could be that person for them, you know, just one day coming in and just giving them hope or giving them reason, giving them support. Um, but yeah, I just want to share that story, man, because I loved it. Picturing him as Gandalf with the big uh, <laughs> staff and the massive beard. <laughs> what I reckon is awesome to hear here um because i've heard a lot about you tony from the guys you know like especially the yinza he always goes on about you um is is just it, it was interesting to me to hear how key right from the very beginning the mental attitude is i was sort of thinking that it was going to be a bit of physical health and then later we get to the mental health aspect that you know we're sort of treating this initial uh problem and but it's really clear to hear you talking that it's it's essential from the beginning and, and if that mental attitude isn't there at the start, there might never be the physical rehabilitation, let alone the mental rehabilitation that might have to follow. Like it was really interesting for me to hear that, that that is the almost step one is getting them on side and getting them to believe in the treatment and the pathway and that them wanting the help is almost step one 
And then step two is figuring out what to do. Would that be a fair sort of assessment that it's like almost step one? Uh, I, I would have to say 100%. Um, just because, you know, you it, getting through to that individual, getting them into buy into, um, into the dream, per se, or into the goal, you know, as we were kind of talking about before, you can you could uh, talk to your blue interface, but or provide them everything in the world. But if it's um, if it doesn't start with them, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, so and uh, kind of going along with what uh, of what Mike had said, sometimes it can be just as easy as you know putting a smile on someone's face, listening to them with what they have to say, getting them to open up so that you know. If someone feels more comfortable and they trust in you, there it's it's gonna make a world of a difference, you know. There because you'll break down a lot of those barriers to begin with. Because like any other, like like anyone, whenever you're vulnerable, you're gonna put up barriers. And yeah, you yeah you want the help, but to to have that um, that trust uh, in someone of 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 it's. Um, it's it, absolutely necessary. Hey, Tony. Actually, I've got two questions. But uh, the first one is, how do you convince somebody that uh, that it's okay to be uncomfortable, right? Or like like we like to say, be comfortable with being uncomfortable because sometimes that's a necessary step to evolve in their in their uh, medical procedures that you're about to. Um, endure with them. And then the other one is I know that as a physician, most of your time is very limited with the patient, right? Because you're seeing X amount of patients and you have to kind of split up your time. And in that short amount of time, how are there any tricks that you've kind of noticed over the years that you've used to kind of disarm people to try to make them open up? Or, you know, are there anything, you know, because like I said, I, since I've met you, I mean, you and I have had an instant bond. Obviously, we're both very open, very transparent but um, I imagine that you see every aspect of society. So there's probably specific traits that you come across that you have to maybe use a certain tool to disarm them, if that makes any sense. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I honestly, I tend to do the same thing at work as I do out in, um, in the real world. Um, and by, by that, I mean with, um, you know, starting up a conversation with someone or getting them to kind of disarm um, and, and bring down those barriers. Well, you got to find some sort of commonality, whether that be in, let's say, something that they say or something that they wear, or even let's say you you read their name, right? And it's like, oh, this guy's Italian. I'm Italian too. That's a commonality that we have. And then just start working with that. See if how they kind of respond, reading their body language, the tone in their voice. All that is extremely important um, because, you know, if if they have that commonality with you and it's like, wow, this guy listens to me, even if we're only in that same room for 15 minutes, that'll leave a lasting impression. And they, if, but by doing so, I'm not saying that they gain your instant trust or anything like that. I'm not saying that, but it makes it a lot easier. And if you like someone, you're more likely going to take in, let's say, uh, 50% of what they say compared with if I didn't like you, I only listened to about 10% of what you said. So, you know, being able to um, find that common ground, I think is, is, is vastly important. Um, that is something too, where you just, it, 
obviously it takes practice. <laughs> I'm sure as you know, um, I'm sure as all you guys know, but it's, uh, um, it's huge. It's huge, especially whenever you're so, whenever you're um, so limited and how much time you can spend with an individual. Yeah, I think, you know, listening to you, Tony, talk about this and, and the pushback and trust and everything else. You know, I, I go to the VA when I go home. You know, I know we've talked about that. I go to the one to the VA in Oakland and uh, Pittsburgh, and uh, I just go around, talk to the vets and, hey, who are you? What, what are you doing? Like, are the nurses taking care of you? Because the nurses have the most influence, in my opinion. They're always in there checking on them. You know, it's bedside manner and all of that. I know we've talked about leadership within the nursing uh, realm. But, uh, you know, I think it starts there with everybody as being on the medical side, as being united and being a team of like, we want to take care of these people. We want to really help these people. And, you know, if there's not one in there, then you can deal with that later. That's another topic. But just in, just in general, it's um, the pride, the ego, the title. You know, again, these are all recurring things that we discussed. But if you're a shot up dude and you, or you got blown up and you feel like you're less of a man or anything else because you look at a person that's never been in combat or never been in the military, but they're genuinely there to help you and you're literally giving them the finger, you're telling them, I don't need that, you know, I, I'm stronger than you think, I'm going to be different, and you just turn these people away, then it's just there are other people, I think, in the hospital that are actively acting, asking for help. And maybe they're going to invest that extra little 5%, 10% into that other person because these people are asking for help and really want it. So I think just to push people away that really care for you and want to help you um, is kind of foolish, man. Like let your pride go, let your ego go, and just they're there to help you and accept your reality. That's where you are. And the first thing, you know, in my mind, if I, if I ever got injured or anything, God forbid, the first thing I would do is accept where I'm at and, and realize that's reality now, that everything I thought before and where I was is is either on hold or it's gone. And I need to get myself back to 100% if I can even dream of going forward or wanting to return to what I love. Just a quick one, like that, my, my experience with um, Annie, right at the very start. My daughter was a very super prem Tony. She was born at 23 weeks and uh, many very close brushes with death in, uh, in her 173 days in hospital. And she then at around sort of 36 weeks gestation had a lot of vision issues, retinopathy of prematurity. And uh, she, she needed a lot of treatment like multiple surgeries. And I had some resistance to wanting to continue her having um, general anesthetics. I just was really concerned about having these, like she had like six, seven operations in a very short period of time near the end. And I did have some resistance to the treatment that was on offer. And I was, you know, I didn't really understand where we were at that point. And I always really listened to the doctors, but um, Mike was saying there, just accepting the cards that you've been dealt in life rather than really wishing it was different than what reality is. Like in that resistance, there's a lot of suffering and you delay the start of treatment and you delay the, you push off how, how well you could get again. And for us, it was a real thing around really understanding where we were and knowing the treatment we're getting here is this emergency surgery on her, on her bad eye was the backup and in the end she actually totally lost the vision in her good eye 
And so if we had resisted that treatment, she would have been totally blind now. And that's a massive step down from the functioning vision that she does have. And so it's a really, it, it can be such a hard thing in the beginning to really accept where you're at and that necessary first step, you know, of really understanding this, this is the situation I'm in now and how do I get to the best possible place from this start can be very hard. And we had Kenny on last week and it was just an amazing story to hear from a guy who's been shot three times and has recovered such a large fraction of his physical ability through hard work and rehab and amazing doctors and uh, therapists. But it's that step of really accepting this is, this is the cards I've been dealt and this is the situation I'm in. And I have no doubt that you've seen people have big outcome differences from a mental attitude and acceptance from the same physical starting point, people with different attitudes achieving different uh, outcomes in the end. No, that's, um, that's 100% true. And, you know, the kind of the, the humility aspect of it, not only from the, the person who needs the help, but also to the person giving the help. It doesn't matter if this is, we're talking to friends, we're talking about um, the patient and the physician. I mean, that's what um, brings those two people closer together so they can gel, they can work together. Um, one story that's kind of, uh, it's, it's not really funny per se, but it's um, one, of, one of the patients I had had who was one of my favorite of all time. He was this um, older uh, Latino guy. So shout out to Raph. Um, he, had, he had had a stroke, right? And um, so after a stroke, he was paralyzed on his right side. Well, so, you know, he comes up to our uh, inpatient rehab unit and um, I end up finding out he has a glass eye. So the family, whenever they would come in and visit him, they'd put all, you know, they'd always put the glass eye in for him because he was right-handed, right? He couldn't get in there with his left hand. Well, whenever they weren't there, I was finding out that um, the ancillary staff didn't necessarily feel comfortable. They had never been trained. So he had asked me, you know, can I do it? And at the time, you know, I'm super, I'm, I was very busy because I was helping run half of this inpatient unit, you know, and it's like, this isn't something that I, I should be doing, but it's like, you know what, it's important to this guy. Okay, let's go do this. And I had never done it before. So I was like, oh, it's going to be kind of cool. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> the handle glass eye. So, um, you know, I go in there, you know, he's got his, you know, he has some Spanglish, you know, and my very limited Spanish. You know, we're talking, figure it out, takes a couple fumble throughs. I never dropped it, but it was kind of slipping out of my hand a little bit. But, you know, <laughs> certainly get it in there. And you could tell he was so thankful, right? Because it's like he doesn't have it in there. He, he doesn't feel comfortable with it. And, you know, we start talking. He um, he was like a short, short order cook. He was he was living with his family at the time because he had had issues priorly with with alcoholism. But he was he, he was a recovered alcoholic. He was trying to get back up on his feet by working and stuff. And he had lost his eye actually, whenever he was younger, he was in a, I guess a bad bar fight. And he said a bottle, a beer bottle clipped him and, and he had lost it. But so need to say like every other day I was going in there and help him put his, his eye back in. So, you know, you start getting good with it after a while. And um, whenever he had left, he was walking with a cane and he had a, and he had a, uh, a brace on his ankle, right? To help out with his foot. Um, you know, 
I, I had ended up seeing him then a couple months later um, as an outpatient. It's just by chance, you know, I was, assigned, I was assigned to go see him. So I go follow up with him. It was one of the coolest experiences because he comes in, he's back working again. He's no longer walking with the cane. And it's like, that's exactly what I want. And he remembered me too, right? We hugged and all this stuff. It was awesome. It was awesome. But it's that humility aspect, right? It's that, you know, it doesn't matter what your position is. If someone needs help, it doesn't matter how small the task is that they're asking you to help out with. It could be the smallest thing to you, but for them, it could be a mountain. And if you can help them to do it and you have that capability, it's like, if you don't, then shame on you. Um, so I think just kind of, you know, you got to sometimes get off your high horse and put your, try and put yourself in their shoes. The three of us are freaking just absolutely stoked with that story. I'm surprised you didn't drop it, but. <laughs> it got close. It got close because it's not like a ball, right? It's just like, it almost looks like um, like uh, like an ellipse kind of, and it's almost hollow in the back. So it's just like a shell, right? And the, the wild part is whenever someone is missing an eye, all those muscles and stuff are still in there, right? So you open up their eyelid, and the you know all the muscles and stuff are, are popping out so you got to push all that in with the glass eye and kind of slide it in so whenever everything's kind of wet you know when you're wearing gloves and stuff you know you gotta you gotta you have a firm grip on it <laughs> also it, also if i could add it's um quintessential and mandatory for all mexicans including myself to go through your first bar fight that's how you cross from adolescence into manhood so it's just a rite of passage i think we've talked about this you're saying you have to go into a bar we just listened how melon used to be a bouncer at a bar so you <laughs> so so basically you have to go into a bar get in a bar fight and then get hemmed up and thrown out by melon to become a man got it and then tony will yeah. patch you back up yeah there you go i don't know where i fit in i don't think i fit in there anyway but the three of you i definitely see the correlation now you're throwing axes at the wall in the corner. That's fine. I'll do that. Man, it's, a, it's such a beautiful story, Tony, that, you know, the assistance doesn't have to be massive. And I think that people can put barriers between themselves and helping other people. Like, I could never help a guy. You know, like the, what could I possibly do for this person in their situation? And yet, you know, you're a physician, but the assistance you're giving this guy was getting his eye in, which is a specialized small task that his family was helping him with. And it wasn't necessarily under your remit as a physician, but that was the thing that was making the difference for his mental health and his sense of confidence and his uh, ability to get up and meet the day. And that, that little assistance was really a big boost for his mental well-being and his ability to get on with it. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, it's, um, that's where like the, you know, that might have him seeing himself as a whole. Um, yeah. you know, that was certainly that part of you know the moting, uh, the motivating factor, as we were kind of talking about earlier, right? And one of the quotes that my dad always says, I love it, is you know how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Meaning you have these huge goals, right? That seem nearly impossible to do. Well, you don't have to know how to accomplish the whole goal at once you just have to be able to do take the next step take the next step take the next step so you know and sometimes taking those next little steps 
can be can be very challenging, but it might be something small that you need help with. It might be something a little bit bigger, but never being afraid of asking someone else to help you out with that. You, know, you gotta, you gotta, you have to be okay with that. Just because it's it's good. no matter what we're life in in and of itself is tough. So um, and anyone thinks that they can do it by themselves, they're they're very sadly mistaken. I think it's really good for people to hear how key these mental attitudes and acceptance and so on really is. Like Tony's talking here about not being able to help someone unless they want the help and disarming and bringing down barriers and finding points of connection when he's meeting his uh, clients and uh, for the first time. And these little steps of assistance don't have to be huge, but helping people with their self-esteem and getting their uh, mental attitude and mental health right is a really key step that Tony's doing as a physician, but all of us can do that for our family and friends. And all of us can keep this in mind for our own journey, that that mental health and that feeling whole as a person and understanding the journey and where the end destination is, is really determined by our own attitude in the moment. We don't have to be this amazing physician like Tony to help people out. Like there are little steps we can be, be taken along the way to support those doctors who are really addressing the hard stuff. I think that's a really good message for all of our listeners because we've got a lot of people who are either in the situation themselves or we've all got family and friends who need help and need assistance and we can all help in little ways and those little steps add up. And if I could just add this little bit at the end here, I know we're going to wrap it up soon. Um, and I think it's worth saying, uh, I have a good friend that I served with. Uh, I'll name him. I'll leave his name out. His wife recently committed suicide. And the, the reason I want to bring this up is because she, she's probably one of the most well-equipped people to fight off uh, those dark thoughts about suicide. She had a master's. Uh, it was in like some sort of um, therapy. You know, she, she helped a lot of people uh, as, as a therapist. So she had the tools, three kids, very active, you know, fit wise and mental. Uh, and according to my friend, there was no signs, there's no symptoms, uh, and yet she still did it. And the reason I want, I think it's important to bring this up is because everybody, and I mean everybody, even the most positive, uh, can have a bad day. And so I think Mike, you alluded, you alluded to it be honest with yourself, right? Like be absolutely look in that mirror and ask yourself, are you, you know, are, are you in that right frame of mind or, you know, where are you lacking and that sort of thing. And, and if, and if you think you're, you're falling short of something um, and God forbid you think about hurting yourself, reach out. I mean, there's, I'm sure one phone call could have prevented what happened. Now there's, you know, three orphan kids. There's my friend who's absolutely devastated, I try to send them weekly messages just to, you know, hey, how are you doing? That sort of thing. But the point is, it can happen to anybody. And she was probably one of the most best equipped to fight something like that off. So nobody's immune. It's insidious. Uh, and this is just, you know, one topic. But uh, I just, I, I think it's worth, I think it's worth telling the story. But uh, profound stuff. Well, I might just throw in what I've seen as um, some of your main points, Tony, and please step in and and help out or clarify a point, but I'm, I'm hearing like a step zero is you can't help someone unless they want help. Step one is don't focus on where you are, focus on where you want to be and that you're the, you're the really expert person there of helping them figure that pathway. 
Step two, opening up the lines of communication, working as a team. And uh, you've got the ability to reach out into the physical, occupational, speech, neuro, et cetera, support. Step three, disarm and bring down barriers. And I'm picturing you there, Gandalf with the kids, with your uh, wizard's suit on. Step four for the patient is accepting the reality of where they are and the mental attitude will really impact where you can get to from that starting point. And step five being small steps of assistance can really make a big difference and that self-esteem and uh, feeling whole as a person is a really important part. Would you feel like there's any, any of them that need a bit of clarifying or is there any other really key points for our listeners there, Tony? Um, no, I don't honestly, I think you hit it pretty much on the head. The only thing I would add to that is, um, you know, certainly uh, trying to keep a smile on your face and, and putting some laughter in there and keeping it light because, you know, I, there's there's certainly on a, on a day-to-day basis stuff that can knock you down, but screw it, right? It is what it is. I got to move past this um, and just keep, you know, just just trying to stay light on your feet and uh, um, and a smile on your heart. So, uh, um, you know, if you focus on the little things, focus on the things that keep you down. Uh, unfortunately, those those little pebbles will eventually build up to be a boulder and they'll, they'll pull you down to the bottom of the ocean. But if you have fun with it, keep moving forward. It's amazing what you'll be able to achieve. Well, there you heard it, guys. Step six is keep smiling and laughing and stay light on your feet from Dr. Tony. Well, I know we've uh, we've gone a little over time here, but this has been a really wonderful episode. And I know that we've got a lot of listeners who are either uh, in the situation themselves where they've had treatment or we've all got family and friends who have had it. And these have been really great insights from you, Tony. We really appreciate having you on. Catching up with your Yinza mate there. Uh, we've got Texas, East Coast, Central Asia and uh, Middle East time zones. I really appreciate how special this moment is to get you on after hearing so much about you. And I just really thank you for, for what you do uh, and for reaching out and being willing to share a bit of yourself uh, with us and our listeners. So thanks very much for coming on, Tony. Gentlemen, I want to thank you from the, um, from the bottom of my heart. This has been an absolute blast and a complete honor. Um, you know, uh, being, just getting a chance to know all you guys, getting a chance to talk with you has been incredible. And I want to thank all of you for the service that you um, have given to, uh, you know, to help out our amazing country. So thank you guys very much for everything. Well, you're very welcome, Tony. So if anyone wants to get a message over to Dr. Tony, probably the best place to go through is uh, Mike. So notyouraveragemike77 at gmail.com. Uh, you got Not Your Average Raf and Not Your Average Paul. We've been getting some really wonderful feedback from uh, Adam Bird and the guys at Me- Heroes Media Group about uh, just how widespread the reach is that we're getting here. And we really appreciate all the feedback. We would invite, uh, if, you, if you really believe in what we're doing here and, and would like to help us with, a review on iTunes, a five-star review really helps with the algorithms and pushing uh, this message out. So if you could uh, spare the time, drop by, leave a, a review and uh, leave a little note for us. We do read all of them. So from all of us to all of you, stay focused, stay healthy and uh, all the best. We'll see you next week.